Salutations, my friends, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of Factions of Freedom. I'm your host, Noisera, Freedom Faction, whichever one you prefer, and I have titled this episode, Polarization Days, New Abnormality, and the New Poor. That's right. We're talking about COVID. We're talking about Kamala Harris, Joe Biden. We're talking about it all. Economic and food insecurity disrupting global supply chains, 11 million people facing evictions over the next four months. And I'm telling you, life is getting crazy. We're not debuting the web app, but there's a reason for that. And we get into that. If you guys want to support this operation, you can do so by joining our Patreon exclusive membership program, patreon.com forward slash freedom faction. The intro I have laid out for you guys, it's so superb. All I'm going to do is start the show. my friends and thank you for tuning in to another edition of factions of freedom i'm your host noise era freedom faction whichever one you prefer and this is show number 1027 season 10 episode 27 that's right we are still here coronavirus free thank the lord but before i get started with things before i start thanking the lord because i'm gonna with this episode i gotta make a quick clarification about a couple things real quick uh on instagram live this week i told you guys that not only do i eat meat but i also uh, partake in delicacies of finer women (laughs) Uh, that i love the consumption of white meat yeah yeah let's go with that with white meat with the Beautiful, curvaceous, and voluptuous, oh, just ultimately delicious anatomy of females. I told you guys that earlier this week. Got to kind of clarify because I used some uh, scrupulous language to say the to say the least. I want to clarify that. Uh, yes, I also do eat meat, and I also love the ladies say the least and so i kind of wanted to clarify with that real quick Uh, and i also wanted to clarify uh because we started the second segment on our instagram live this week talking about how i was going to kill my chicken corona Uh, i kind of have to clarify that because by killing him it makes me seem like i'm a bad owner that's not the case man Uh, i'm actually a fantastic chicken owner and a chicken farmer one of the reasons why i was saying i wanted to kill him i mistook it it was a mistake that was mixed that was fake news um, it wasn't my rooster that was crowing. It was actually my neighbor's rooster because I don't let my, my roosters out until about seven or eight and they're and they're, and they're fine. All three flocks, they all just chill together. They're very, very respectful birds. I'm, I'm generally surprised. I'm proud of my chickens now because I sat outside the other day and four o'clock in the morning and just waited to see who's, 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 who's calling. 
<laughs> uh, and I found out that it was indeed my neighbor's. So I wanted to clarify that, that I will not be killing my chicken, uh, that I will be handling it amicably and respectfully, <laughs> and I'm not going to go to war with my neighbors. So yeah, that's two things I wanted to clarify at the start of this transmission before I thank God. That one, I do eat meat, I love the ladies, and I wanted to uh, correct how I went about saying that. And two, that I will not be killing my chicken, that I love my, that I love my Rona, even though he roos obnoxiously, uh, and I love all my chickens. But I wanted to clarify that just to kind of give you guys like an update. Because, you know, we have that kind of relationship. Now, how I wanted to intro this show appropriately is starting with a prayer of protection. Thanking God. Being extraordinarily grateful, again, for the position that we're in, uh, what we have been allowed to do, the fact that we are still here on the air, being able to bring this information to you, uh, and so much more, man. Like, we got left with two beautiful comments this week, and that's how much I pay attention to YouTube versus Instagram and social media. We got left with two beautiful comments this week, and I'm very glad uh, that you guys left that because it shows that not only are you guys paying attention, but you also want others to pay attention, and we're doing the best we can to provide that type of information, have that kind of caliber of performance, and so forth. So I really am grateful, not only to you, the audience, but as I said before, uh, the big man upstairs himself, thanking God. Now, I want to read real quick a quick scripture. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. And then I will lead my own little prayer, which I think you guys might like. Uh, but uh, let me just go ahead and jump into that. It comes from, like I said, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30, 31, uh, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. And now, I'd just like to, it's nothing special, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to just ask for a quick prayer of protection and Obviously, you guys can't see this. Audio listeners, you can't see this. Video listeners, you can't see this either. But I'm bowing my head, uh, clasping my hands, and I'm saying, Dear God, please protect me from this man-made disease as well as these man-made problems and as well as these man-made solutions. I can only beg for the forgiveness, not only of my ignorance, but of my arrogance and the error of my ways, but also beg for clarity in these trying times. Clarity, so I can ask for your will to be done. In God's name, amen. Now, this isn't something we're always going to do, starting shows with apologies and confessions and prayers and stuff like this. But I felt like, you know, I just felt like it was necessary. I really do. 
I really do. You know, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things with the time that we have, guys. I'll try to make it as uh, understandable as possible. But, you know, when we, we, earlier this week, whenever we went over all the stuff that's going on with, like, the economy, <laughs> jobs, people's mindsets, you know, society, and so much more. And then I found out other information regarding FEMA, asteroids, FEMA camps, and just, like, slave labor and all that all kinds of stuff. You know, when, when, when I'm in this position, I am literally submerged and surrounded by such information that I do obviously get overwhelmed. And so that's why I wanted to start this episode off talking about clarity. That's the only thing that I seek. Peace of mind, harmony, bliss, clarity, focus. Wiping away the delusions. Seeking the truth. No matter how hard it may be, how rough it may seem, but trying to understand this stuff, man, because it is rough. The the information we cover, it is rough. The times we are living in, it is rough. It is truly the signs of the time. But you know what, gang? All this did is tell me that, listen, we were born for this. What you over here crying about? There's more work to be done. And you're worried about this? You're just getting started. That's right. We're just getting started. And while we see the world rapidly throwing away the concept of religion, decency, morality, right? Because <laughs> every, everything doesn't matter, right? There is no right or wrong. There is no, uh, we're all immoral. We're all amoral, right? There is no right. There is no wrong. Because we're, we're moving into this world, I think I just see myself gradually pulling out. And so. When I see all these things going on, people tripping about COVID, worried about this, that, and the third, but not taking the necessary steps in their life, that's what I'm more or less focused on. What's happening in the peripheral? What is happening that we can't see? And what can we prepare for today? And I obviously get overwhelmed sometimes trying to provide you guys with, uh, with that clarity, with that explanation, with that breakdown, uh, because of, indeed, everything that we're facing. And how sometimes our minds are configured to, to, to entertain the sweet lies and the delusions and, the, you know, and, 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 and all the other things because we like being scared. We like being in fear. Ooh, you know, but as long as we have our Netflix and chill, we'll never care. And that's, that's the problem. And so I think I'm just generally looking at the current state of affairs, the, 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 the mental state of society, the mental health, right, of people and more. And it just, it just tells me that we need God. <laughs> That we need God, that we need to seek after God's face, that we need to seek after peace, that we need to seek after bliss, that there is no political solution for this deeply, deep spiritual problem that we have right now, right? Roaming mobs of atheistic people waiting to take the type of stuff that you have. This is where we're at. And so as we uh, talked earlier this week about the economy, uh, evictions, jobs, you know, the Great Reset, socioeconomic reformation, things like this and more, it is just fascinating to see where we have come, where we've come from, what we're covering, and where it's all supposed to go. I'll say this, and I'll start flying through these topics, and, and, and we'll, we'll start the show. Conversation saved a generation. Conversation truly saved a generation. And I, can't, and I say this on the show all the time. I can't blame people because they don't know what's going on. They don't know how to care. People can't wait to get back to normal to seem like men watching TV shows and calculating somebody else's stats on the field. We're past those days. 
We are now in the time where we have to embody our truths. We have to live our truths. We have to speak our truths. We have to build anew. There is no normal for us to get back to. We have to start over. We have to start over. And with that being said, let's start the show. So in this segment, <laughs> Polarization Days, I'm going to basically be talking about how we're spell-hexed. <laughs> Maybe that's why I started with the, uh, the, the, the prayer. You know, you got people putting masks on, chanting, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Uh, all getting together, losing, disassociating from reality, losing yourself in the mob, mob-like mentalities being deployed on the populace, right? The polarization days, we have been so fired up, so angry, so agitated for years now that we are in a daze of hatred, a daze of anger. We hate everything, even ourselves. It's a darn shame. And because of this, 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 this hex that's been put on us, this chicken dance that we have to do, we don't really know what's best for us. You get me? This is what happens when people have uh, clicked up and they don't think for themselves. Let's start getting into the news. You know, we're going to be talking about basically Antifa, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, uh, and other things that are going on. You know, this is so crazy to see. You, you've got Kamala Harris, who's just who, who descends from a line of uh, Jamaican slave traders, one of the most prominent ones in the his, in, in uh, at that time. And then you've also got Joe Biden, who has a history of incarcerating African-Americans. It's just like, how are these the people that are supposed to represent the, 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 the Democratic Party? But I, I digress. Let me start getting into this stuff, and then I'll start explaining things, and then we'll kind of go from there. Earlier this week, Attorney General Barr, Attorney General William Barr, declared Antifa as a revolutionary group. He decided to finally give them the appropriate label they have been so badly after. This is written by Bao and Zhao over there at the Epoch Times. They put this up at... Uh, over there at, uh, at Epoch Times on August 11th. It says, for the first time, the nation's top law enforcement officer has explicitly outlined the nature of the far-left anarcho-communist group Antifa, describing it as a, quote, revolutionary group intent on establishing socialism and communism in the United States. And the experts agree. Attorney General William Barr, delivering a scathing critique of Antifa in an August 9th interview with Mark Levin on Fox News, noting that the group's organization and tactics make it a difficult phenomenon to deal with, Quote, they are a revolutionary group that is, an in, that is interested in some form of socialism, communism. They're essentially Bolsheviks. Their tactics are fascistic, Barr said. Antifa publicly identifies with communist and socialist ideologies, but the interview marked the first time Barr went into such detail. Quote, the attorney general's comments represent a significant improvement over previous government statements on Antifa, and he should be commended for his outspokenness. Kyle Schidler, Director and Senior Analyst for Homeland Security and Counterterrorism at the Center for Security Policy, told the Epoch Times. Schidler, who testified on August 4th before the Senate Subcommittee on the Constitution about the structure and the origin of Antifa, said he hopes Barr will direct the Justice Department to take, act, take Antifa's core mission to heart and begin to, quote, treat the group as a subversive and insurrectionist force that it is. Now, I have to stop right there. Could it be 
that because I'm having to have uh, interviews with organizations such as NPR and other news outlets, local news outlets about what Antifa has done to me that I find this a little bit more troubling to to speak on? Or could it be that I watched Mel Gibson's The Patriot just last night, so I'm feeling a little bit extra patriotic? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Or could it be the fact that I am now involved with community activities that are based around freedom, liberty, and restoring people's rights and not bowing down to COVID-19 nonsense? I'm not sure. But the reason I'm stopping right here, gang, is to show you where we are at as a nation, that we have to... That we, that we have to wait for this type of chaos to be brought out here into the open in order for it to be dealt with. We've talked about this time and time on the show. We've been to a few Antifa protests ourselves. We've been doxxed. They have a Pokemon card of our personal information. <laughs> but yes, they are a revolutionary group hell-bent on the destruction and the subversive manipulation of society. The ideological interference that they are running is dangerous. This is truly, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but this marks the beginning of another chapter. Antifa is getting recognition as a domestic terrorist organization, and the Justice Department is beginning to recognize that civilians can organize and become a recognizable force. Now, a couple months ago, we had did a quick mini-cast on the concept of Zabellion, and I don't have the graphic here before you guys, but it talks about how the Pentagon ran a war game five years into the future about a generation of millennials and Gen Z characters that essentially detach from society and begin to do this. We're in those days right now. We are in these stage setting moments right now. Secession, so to speak. Uh, we've, we've heard that being talked about this week as well in California. Um, there are so many different things happening here in the country right now that I think everybody can understand the historic moment we're in and why it's all so dangerous. Uh, why it's all so dangerous and sad truth is, is this is the, these are the last days of our republic, but let me get back into this. It says, quote, Antifa's distributed and non-hierarchical network structure requires better intelligence to counter, he said noting that the federal government has a unique responsibility to address this threat as local and state governments are unable or unwilling to do so. Antifa is, quote, fundamentally committed to the abolition of the United States government and the violent overthrow of the United States Constitution, Schiedler said in his written testimony. To achieve this, it's committed to use, quote, both of both subversion and violent extremism to enforce its political views by terrorizing American citizens. Quote, Antifa's activities clearly meet the definition of an organized criminal conspiracy and terrorism established by federal law, he said in his testimony. So what they're admitting to is that you have a paramilitary, I don't want to call them that, a fringe group of domestic terrorists out there causing all kinds of chaos to achieve political gains, purposely subverting the natural flow of the country because they're upset. So it's outside of being funded by George Soros. It's outside of all these things. You've got to look at, again, the sophistication behind setting this up. i got to speak on this again. Maybe it's because I was watching The Patriot, man. There's a scene in there where, you know, when the Redcoats were coming, one of the, one of the Americans, or one of the colonialists, sold out. His, he sold out, like, his settlement, man. And whenever they asked him later on, hey, 
We need you to burn this church down with the people in it. He said, sir, there is no honor in this. And you know what that guy said? What that sir said right back to that traitor? He, he used his own words. He said, well, wasn't it you that said every traitor to the crown deserved to be burned alive? Well, here's your chance. And then he throws him the torch. He says, oh, don't burn down the town because we still need the land. Burn down the church. What do you think that traitor did? He burned down the church. <laughs> he burned, of course he burned down the church. What else was there for him to do? That's what he signed up on. And that is what he signed up with. You got to understand the days that we're in, guys. Like the, I told you earlier this week, you know, watch out for these protests. Some of these things may be traps, right, with contact tracing. Uh, some of the protests that even I went to, I got docs. They were taking almost cinematic pictures of me. Some of them I put up on my personal Instagram because they were so good. Watch out for these protests. Watch out for what's going on because you have to understand the sophistication of your adversary and how it's all designed to be a trap to get you there. A trap for optics. Which leads me to my next post right here. Uh, there was a battle, a quick skirmish that happened over the weekend this past weekend at uh, Fort Collins in Colorado this past Saturday. Right here, MAGA versus Antifa battle turns ugly in Fort Collins. This is uh, put up August 10th over there at the Drudge Report feed. I'm going to mute the video. It's basically of just men brawling. <laughs> yeah, it's just men brawling. A shocking video shows the moment pro-police and counter-protesters got into an ugly altercation during dueling protests on the weekend. Violence broke out during a pro-police back the blue rally in Fort Collins, Colorado on Saturday. Video shot during the event captured the moment tensions between the two groups boiled over as a group of men who apparently attended the rally approached a group of counter-protesters dressed in black. Now, this, this brawl is not a perfect representation of, what things, of, of how things should be going down. There was footage from like Ohio, Portland, other areas around the nation where Antifa tried to do the very same thing but people responded more appropriately. They drove them out of town. They took their weapons. They literally got on horseback and pushed these people out of town. They said, you're not going to do this here. But the problem is, is we're having to get to this point to where humans, <laughs> Americans, are having to take their security into their own hands. We should not be having open combat out here in the street. We should not be having brawls out here in the middle of the street. We should not be having 60-plus day protests out here in the street. Where are your children? <laughs> Where are your kids? Whose man's is this? This is what's going on. So while you've got black versus white, that narrative trying to go out there, rich versus poor, that narrative going out there, men versus women, that narrative going out there, you've got all this polarization going on. All this anger, all this hate, all this negativity, all of this stuff that, again, puts us in this daze to where we're that much more easily controlled. You guys get the picture I'm trying to paint for you here. And now they decided to give us Kamala Harris, <laughs> Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. They decided to give us a drunk and a pedophile. <laughs> 
It's like, what? Wow. These are our choices, huh? I'm going to play for you guys real quick this uh, promotional video that came out with uh, Kamala Harris's announcement that she was picked by Joe Biden as their VP or their VP. Let's listen. All right. Hi, 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 hi. Sorry to keep you. Well, that's all right. We're ready to go to work. Oh, my God. I'm so ready to go to work. I used to take action. My mother knew that she was raising two black daughters who would be treated differently because of how they looked. Growing up, whenever I got upset about something, my mother would look me in the eye and ask, so what are you going to do about it? That's why, when I saw a broken justice system, I became a lawyer to try and fix it. It's why, during the foreclosure crisis, I took on the big banks as California's Attorney General. It's why, as United States Senator, I have fought to represent people like my mother. People who politicians often overlook or don't take seriously. Right now, America needs action. In the middle of a pandemic, the president is trying Okay. Hi, 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 hi. In the midst of a police brutality epidemic, tone deaf Democrats have nominated the queen of the police state for VP. They have nominated Kamala Harris as the VP. So you guys know I have been I've been clowning on those 20 Democratic debate or those 20 Democrats that were taking place during the debates, man, and (laughs) seeing them eat themselves. And we literally got a perfect example of this. She backhanded Joe during those debates about busing, about segregation, about all this stuff. And now she's his VP. This just shows you that these people are both soulless, empty husks perfect for the corporate system to take over see they don't want somebody like uh what, what, what's uh this is kamala harris who's the other one the, uh, the other lady the one from hawaii shucks no uh, not uh yeah it, it's escaping me tulsi gabbard there you go boom tulsi gabbard tulsi still thanks for herself she speaks she speaks very well. She carries herself very well. She explains things. She has autonomy. She'll call out Hillary Clinton. The system doesn't need that. You see, what they need is they need a Joe Biden, a sleepy Joe Biden, who will say everything that the, the, the establishment demands. And then they also need Kamala Harris. They need somebody who is not only a female, but a minority to appeal to the people. But the thing is, most black people are not really buying what Kamala Harris is saying. So here, let me get into this article and then we'll continue on. Uh, we put this up August 12th. It comes from Matt Agarist over there at the Free Thought Project. And it breaks down how we're electing a cop during like a lawyer cop, man, during during a talk of freedom. What do you think is going to happen? Let me get into this. It says someone intuitive intuitive once said that insanity can be defined by doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. This pretty much describes the United States political process in the 2020s perfectly. Every four years, most Americans rally at the polls, get behind their political football team, and claim that if this person wins, all will be good. If this person does not win, it will be four years of hell. In reality, however, no matter who wins, the police state grows, wars continue, and your rights are diminished. 
Nothing highlights this scenario quite like the Democratic nomination of Kamala Harris, who's made her career cheerleading the police state in the middle of an ep- of a police brutality epidemic. Like, think about this, guys. So it's, 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 it's uh, I, 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 to be honest, I don't even want to speak on this. We have much bigger issues going on right now. We truly do. But why did I start this off talking about Antifa and now we're talking about Kamala Harris? Because this is, the, this, is what's, this is what's afflicting us right now. Brain dead people, radicalized, leaderless, <laughs> seeing us as the problem because we're not submitting to their terroristic demands. Hold, trying to hold us hostage, <laughs> destroying the economy and destroying the future. All because of what? This is insane. Let me continue on. It says, in short, Harris's entire, entire political career can be summed up in five simple words. Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris is a cop. Unless you have been under the rock for the last three months, you have probably noticed the nightly clashes across the country between protesters and police. While there are certainly a handful of violent agitators among the protesters, the majority of them are peaceful. However, the fact that they are peaceful has been no deterrent for more police brutality. As Americans take to the streets to protest police brutality that unfolds across the country on a daily basis, they are being met with even more of it. There is no end in sight, and the situation keeps escalating. One would think that the Democratic Party would see this and seek to nominate someone who has a track record of fighting for civil rights and not the police state. However, as Harris's nomination for vice president illustrates, one would be wrong. Harris has catapulted herself into political stardom by stepping on the backs of those she locked away some under false pretenses, and countless others for victimless crimes. Though she claims to be against the drug war now, Harris spent over a decade ruining lives by systematically kidnapping and caging nonviolent people for possessing substances deemed illegal by the state. Yeah, it's like one... I, I, I forget uh, the context of it, but somebody said, hey, hey, Kamala, have you ever smoked weed? She's like, yeah, I smoked weed in, in high school. Listen to Snoot Dogg. Like, I'm cool. This is race. This is pandering. This is some racist stuff. Snoop Dogg wasn't, a, wasn't around whenever you were in high school, Kamala. Why are you lying like that? But you see, that's how it works. They have to cater to people. They got to make these soulless husks look human. See, Joe Biden's not dead. He can ride a bike. He's not, he, he's not a pedophile. We, we, we just keep him away from children. They have, to, they have to humanize these soulless husks. But this is very dangerous, this, this type of behavior. This is very dangerous, the fact that we're just going along with it, not asking questions, totally blind to what is happening. I think what's even crazier or even more, more so funny about all of this is, uh, do you guys remember last week when we played for you that clip of Joe Biden <laughs> talking about what well, what was it he was um it was because of this him being challenged on his cognitive impairment somebody's saying what's your response joe whenever people are saying that you're cognitively impaired that you're not able to string together a sentence what would your what would your response to these people be mr biden Joe's response is, are you high? (laughs) Are you on crack, man? Come on. Come on, man. What? 
here, let's see if we can get this clip up. He stumbles over his words while saying, oh, I don't need, <laughs> I don't need a cognitive test. I'm all right. This is the lunacy of the left. This is what we're dealing with. But here, let me see if I can get this clip up for you guys, and then we'll continue on. Maybe. Maybe. If not, we uh, we may have to continue on for the sake of time. I don't want to take up too much of your guys' time uh, because there is another article comparing that, CNN talking about uh, Joe Biden stepping down because of his cognitive issues. Yeah, I don't think it's going to let us get that clip up for you guys. Yeah, we, we might just have to continue on. Sorry about that, gang. Uh, but just last week, Joe Biden was interviewed on a podcast where they said, what are your responses to uh, being asked to take cognitive tests by people like Donald Trump? And um, that was his response. Are you on crack? Are you on? Are you, are you high? And then his mind proceeds to go a little bit farther down the drain, uh, trying to explain just his, idiot, his, 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 uh, his dementia. The sad part is, is we've been calling this out for like almost almost a year now going on. You know, from all of his gaffes, hearing him speak, talking about putting kids underwater, roaches in his lap, watching their hairs come up. You know, everything the man says is just very, very strange. And I don't know why we are still dealing with this charade. It truly is crazy. But here, let me, I think we might be able to get this. Vice President, your opponent in this election, President Trump, has made your mental state a campaign topic and when asked in june if you've been tested um for cognitive decline you've responded that you're constantly tested in, in, in effect because you're in situations like this on the campaign trail but please clarify specifically have you taken a cognitive no test? i haven't taken a test why the hell would i take a test come on man that's like saying you before you got in this program you're taking you're taking cocaine or not what do you think huh what do you say to President Trump, who brags about his test and makes your mental state an issue for voters? Well, if he can't figure out the difference between an elephant and a lion, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Did you watch that? Well, come on, man. I, I, I know you're trying to goad me, but I mean, I'm so forward looking to have an opportunity to sit with the president or stand with the president in debates. There's going to be plenty of time. And by the way, as I joke with him, you know, it, I, I shouldn't say it. I'm going to say something I, I, I probably shouldn't say. Anyway, I am, uh, I am very willing to let the American public judge my physical and mental fit, my physical as well as my mental fit, fitness, and uh, to, uh, you know, to make a judgment about who I am. Not even 24 hours after nominating soon-to-be presidential candidate Kamala Harris, CNN put up an article talking about how Joe Biden is cognitively impaired and how he may have to step down. That's right. This is written by Jeffrey Gratter over there. Now the end begins. They put this up August 12th. And... You already know what this article is going to say. It's, 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 it's talking about common sense. Nobody wants to sit up over here 
and watch this zombie try to string a sentence together, try to lead the country, try to tell me what to do, try to uh, try to act like he's not bought out by China. Right. Nobody wants to sit here and watch this charade. So we'll read it. We'll get into the article. We'll 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 break it down. But this is where we're at. We're being force fed our president. We're being force fed an ideology, force fed a culture that doesn't have our values, that doesn't represent ourselves, right? This is being imposed upon us. Uh, so let me go ahead and get into this article. Like I said, this is by Jeffrey Grider. They put this up August 12th. It's over there at Now the End Begins. It says, not even 24 hours later, and already CNN is talking about how cognitively challenged Joe Biden will step aside to make Kamala Harris president. Says Biden's announcement on his running mate was so awkwardly worded in a way that suggested Harris might be expected to, quote, lead this nation starting in January 2021. Whilst, survey, whilst surveying the panoply of laughable and widely unelectable candidates from the Democratic nominee for president, someone deep within the DNC got an idea, an evil genius type of idea. Why not nominate Joe Biden, someone so bad that he had to be kept hidden in his basement for fear of what his next comment might be, give him a black woman as his VP, then as soon as he is elected, have him step aside so he becomes, oh, so she becomes America's first black president. Why would Joe Biden agree to do any of that? To make the Ukraine and the China scandals go away. Because that's what it's all about. It's all about politics. This isn't about us. This isn't about the, the state of affairs. This isn't about the nation. It's about politics. You get how that works? I'm only going to read a little bit more of this because it seems like we're having issues trying to get this article up for you guys. Uh, but uh, it says, I'm entitled to my own opinion just as much as you are. So there it is. But I really don't think that I'm all that far off. Everything that has been happening with this election is wrong, crooked, pre-planned, and filled with scandal. Race riots in the streets, then a far-left socialist black woman candidate, lockdowns and school closings from an event 201 scorecard to forced mail-in ballots. The timing of everything sure is on the strange side. Funny thing is, though, CNN seems to agree with me, and in fact is bragging about their plan to give Joe 30330 <laughs> the 25th tag I, I need to move on uh, but it pulls up an article from Breitbart and then it goes into it <laughs> but, but you get the point we are being force fed a president we are being force fed an ideology that we did not sign up for like the, the people already selected their nomination they wanted Bernie Sanders really truly they didn't, they didn't want Kamala Harris. They didn't want uh, Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. They wanted Bernie. They wanted the Bernie bros, bro. But they didn't give it to him. And so they've, they're forcing Biden onto us. This is going to be a very, very interesting election. I think everybody can see that. It's definitely going to be one for the, for the books. Um, well, to be honest, I'm not even sure if we'll have an election. They're already talking about stealing it. You see what's happening with censorship online on social media. They're already messing up the whole mailer and voter ballot situation. This is going to be one of the most controversial elections uh, in our history. 
And I think everyone can see that. You know, uh, to, to begin closing out this segment for you guys, seems like we're having issues, uh, connectivity issues, as we're trying to pull up more information for you guys. Uh, but to close out this segment for you, earlier this week, President Trump uh, was giving a press conference. And during said press conference, there was somebody out in the street that decided to, to, to walk up to the White House carrying a gun. Dude got lodged in the chest, got bullets in the chest. Pow, pow, pow. He was moved from the press conference room to another room, and then he began his, 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 his press conference there moments later. But I can't help but think of how this is the current climate. You know, with JFK, we saw him get assassinated, and they kept having the motorcade. Uh, Donald Trump has nothing but symbology surrounding him, talking about how he's going to get murdered, how he's going to get Caesared, right? How he's going to get sliced up by these people. And we're already beginning to see these, uh, these assassination attempts happen. Just last month, whenever he was rushed to his underground bunkers, as soon as all these race riots started, they're setting this up. They set up a barricade around the White House. They're setting it up. He's already activated a, a special group of Marines and soldiers to protect him, just in case. Uh, you've, you, you've got uh, Maxine Waters talking about what we should do if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't go with the, 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 this fake election with all this stuff that's going on. What happens if he doesn't step down? We're literally talking about the stages of a civil war in this country, and it's right now. It's right now. It's the people walking up to the White House. It's the Antifa burning down streets. It's all this stuff. We are in the beginning stages of a, of a civil war, a cold civil war. And as I've said before, and as I'll say again, the lawlessness that we are seeing is going to summon this authoritarianism. And we have got to figure out what to do with that. And we will. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about new abnormalcy. That's right. Not the new normal, but new abnormalcy. More of the COVID nonsense. I won't lie to you. There are a fair amount of videos from all over the world. Uh, people getting choked out in Melbourne. Uh, pandemic checkpoints, COVID-19 checkpoints. Uh, all kinds of stuff is going on. This is strange. So while we're dealing with this authoritarianism, we're going to take a quick break and come back talking about it. What is happening with this new abnormalcy with COVID-1984 and more? Ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. This is Freedom Faction over here on Factions of Freedom. And we'll be right back right after this.
your distance. And we're back. Are we? Are we back? I don't know. My system some. Times doesn't like to work. <laughs> Especially whenever I'm doing things that's important. You know, we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Factions of Freedom. I am your host, Noise Era, Freedom Faction, whichever one you prefer. And in this segment, New Abnormalcy, we're going to talk about COVID-19 and how the pandemic is being used as a means to rob you of your rights if you haven't caught on by now. We talk about authoritarian infections, right? 
Welcome back. I won't lie to you. We had to shut down, restart our whole system during that break because during that first recording, nothing was coming up. None of the videos I had already had queued up were coming up. Website wasn't loading. Page wasn't loading. Videos weren't loading. Nothing with everything I had queued up prior to banging the button, hitting red, and getting started. Nothing showed up. And so I had continued for roughly 20 minutes or so reading from my phone, but then stuff started getting deleted like while I was, while I was reading. And so I said, you know what? It, expletive, expletive. Stop it. Shut it down. Come back on and restart. We're not going to. We are not going to do this, okay? <laughs> we're not going to do this. Uh, and so with that being said, we're going to do this instead. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning into this segment and this edition of Factions of Freedom. We're going to be talking about new abnormalcy, the craziness surrounding COVID-19, some of the lunacy that we are being forced to deal with when covering this. Uh, so let me go. I don't want to bore you with all the stuff that just went down in between that break. I'm just going to go ahead and jump straight into everything and then we'll continue on from there. Uh, but just last week, we had talked to you guys about uh, how the U.S. government and Yale held clinical trials on how best to persuade Americans to take the COVID-19 vaccine shot. This is written by Joe Martino over there at Collective Evolution. They put this up August 3rd. And let me just read a little excerpt from this to explain. I won't go into detail. I won't read it a lot. But let me just explain a little bit of this. It says the study essentially looks at the best possible messaging that can be used on Americans ranging from expressing vaccine benefits to using messages about economic impact, making someone feel guilty or embarrassed for not taking a mask, oh, my bad, for not taking the shot, and so on. The study looked at around 4,000 participants aged 18 years and up, all of whom had to be U.S. residents, of course. The various arms used in the study when it came to messaging were as follows. A control message, a baseline message, a personal freedom message, economic freedom message, a self-interest message, a community interest message, right? The economic benefit message, the guilt message, the embarrassment, the guilt shaming, the mass shaming, the anger message, the trust in science message, the not bravery message. And whenever we continue on, uh, getting into this, it actually talks about how vaccines, getting your shot, will be considered patriotic. So that was last week. This is, again, more of that new abnormalcy, that abnormalcy where they're trying to make things normal. But like I said, just last week, they're trying to persuade you. They know that you have these things called rights, that you're seeing these clinical trials, you're seeing the human experimentation go on. You're seeing uh, the numbers drop in other places like Sweden. You're seeing the hoax exposed. And so, like any other dictatorial and authoritarian society where logic is, where logic is a menace and truth is lies, they have to figure out a way to get you to buy into the lie. You see? 
They've got to figure out a way. How do we get these people to take this shot? We spent all this money <laughs> on all these gifts. How do we get people to take them? How do we get people to take it whenever only 42% say that they will submit to the COVID-19 vaccine shot? This is a, sto- uh, a, a been put out by a new poll <laughs> over there at Yahoo News forward slash YouGov. That's a poll that says that 42% of Americans say they plan to get a coronavirus vaccine. They'll submit, but they need more, right? They need to get more of you people. How do we get people to take our shot? Maybe if they look to good old Rockefellers, and what I mean by that is the people at the top, the controlling oligarchy. What am I saying? The Rockefeller Foundation has announced a COVID national action plan where it rolls out interstate testing compacts with seven states. This is written by Baxter Dimitri over there at Newspoint. They put this August 6th, and it says seven states have joined forces with the Rockefeller Foundation in order to set up an interstate testing compact for COVID-19 testing. The bipartisan group of governors, including Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, has joined the Rockefeller Foundation to pursue a deal for 3.5 million coronavirus antigen tests as part of a push to massively increase testing, contact tracing, and, quote, targeted isolation. Now, before I continue on, we've, we've, we've played clips for you where Bill Gates himself says that the vaccine may not do work. That Dr. Anthony Fauci of the NIH also says that a vaccine may be ineffective. So what is the purpose behind purchasing those 3.5 million tests to make it seem like they're trying to figure out the virus? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys are all walking around with your masks on wondering, shucks, why am I doing this? This is a day late, a dollar short. <laughs> why are we wearing masks now? Wasn't the pan, didn't this start back in like October? It's, it's now June, July, August, and we're expected to wear masks? Let me continue on. It says Maryland Governor Larry Hogan negotiated the deal with the Rockefeller Foundation in the, quote, first interstate testing compact of its kind among governors during the COVID-19 pandemic, Hogan's office announced in a statement on Tuesday. Governor Hogan, fellow Republican governors Charlie Baker of Massachusetts and Mike DeWine of Ohio, and Democratic governors John Bell Edwards of Louisiana, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, and Ralph Northam of Virginia also signed on to the agreement and, quote, additional states, cities, and local governments may join the compact in the coming days and weeks. It says Democratic Governor Roy Cooper of North Carolina has also announced that he will enter his state into the group. The Rockefeller Foundation also published a, quote, national action plan announcing the investment of an additional $50 million, quote, towards realizing the emergency requirements we outlined in this updated plan. And then it goes on to talk about uh, how we're doing horrible with tests and how, oh, we need to step our stuff up and how we really need to fight back the virus. And the best way to fight back that virus is by giving your DNA. Testing, testing, testing. Even though the test isn't doing anything. And then we had more information this week confirming what a lot of people already knew. Better yet, I'll put it in a context that people might understand. In Sweden, (laughs) where there was no lockdown, COVID cases and deaths have slowed to a trickle. So you don't see... You don't see them saying testing, 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 vaccine, shut down, isolation. Oh, my gosh. Not in Sweden. 
Yeah, the death rate is actually lower than Spain, the UK, and Italy, plus their economy is in much better shape. So why are they doing all the testing? I want to read a little bit of this and we'll continue on. It comes from Summit.News. It's by Paul Joseph Lawson. They put this up August 11th. And it says, back in March, when Sweden announced that it would adopt a different approach to much of the rest of the world by refusing to shut down its economy and instead aim for, per- for, for herd immunity, public health experts and media commentators were aghast at the decision, warning that the country's hospitals would be overwhelmed with COVID-19 patients. I thought the very same thing because in, because of what I was reading. I was misinformed. I can admit that we were lied to. We were hoaxed. The, the, the CDC came out today and admitted that these numbers are inflated. There is, there's an Arizona lawmaker that's saying uh, the, 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 that the deaths in the nursing home are also inflated. I thought it was, you guys know, I thought it was real. But that wouldn't be the case. Continuing on, it says, summing up the attitude towards Sweden's approach, Danish journalist Lisbeth Davidson said it was, quote, like watching a horror movie. That's what I thought seeing the information, running the calculations, looking at all these people break it down, I thought it was going to be a horror show. Fast forward to five months, and the horror show predicted by many has completely failed to materialize. While fears of a second wave and coronavirus continue to plague other European countries that completely locked down and enforced draconian mask rules, Sweden has recorded barely a trickle of COVID cases and deaths so far in August. So why are they doing all this testing? Why are they trying to make it seem like they care? Because the vaccine's voluntary, but they create so much social demand that it becomes mandatory. You see how that works? Remember a couple weeks ago with the White Coat Summit, where you had doctors, like a handful of them, dozen of them, in Washington, D.C., doing a press conference that would later go on to get censored that would force us to not be able to broadcast on Instagram Live for two weeks? Remember the White Coat Summit? where those doctors told you, hey, look, we can fix this. Even with and without hydroxychloroquine, no one has to die. No one. But now you have a new doctors, a new group of doctors demanding government punishment for Americans who refuse the COVID-19 vaccine. Talking about Mark of the Beast style stuff, if you want the truth, denying people services, no employment, oh, you can't you you can't join the party because you're not part of the club. You didn't get your shot. This comes from Baxter Dimitri. They put this up. August twelfth is from your newsletter. It says a group of doctors has demanded that the government put together a plan to quote punish people who refuse to take a COVID nineteen vaccine with tax penalties, a denial of government services, as well as encouraging private companies to deny employment to anyone who rejects the vaccination. It says the coronavirus vaccine must be mandatory and anyone who refuses the vaccination must be severely punished in ways that make it hard for them to participate in society. The doctors argued in USA Today this week. USA Today facts checks this page, but they didn't fact check this one. This is not fake news, what I'm reading you. They actually believe this, these doctors, this group of doctors that didn't get censored, that, that, that thinks it's their uh, medical authoritarian point of view, their tyrannical, medi- their, their, their tyrannical point of view to tell you what's best for you, to plunge a needle into your arm. Well, while you may think that's the case and that I need to be punished for not agreeing with you, I still have these things called rights and I'm a human being. 
an American at that. And if you try to do something to me that I'm starsely against, you will have repercussions legally and lawfully. Continuing on, it says, according to the doctors, tax penalties, higher insurance premiums, denial of employment by private companies and many government services must be considered as punishment for anyone refusing the vaccine. While the group admits that the punishment sound, quote, anti-American, they insist that the taking the shot is actually, quote, patriotic. Huh. Quote, while the measures will be that will be necessary to defeat the coronavirus will seem draconian, even anti-American to some. We believe that there is no alternative, wrote doctors Michael Lederman. Dr. Maxwell J. Melhan, Melman and Dr. Stuart Youngner. Simply put, getting vaccinated is going to be our patriotic duty. So you remember how I was just reading to you about the U.S. government in Yale holding clinical trials on how to persuade Americans to take the COVID-19 vaccine shot? It's right here. Yeah, see, getting the vaccine is going to be patriotic, don't you know? They're already doing this to kids. That's the sad part with, with, with the opening up of schools. They're saying that the kids that get vaccines or the kids that don't get vaccines, I'm not sure which, which one it is, but they treat them like Jews underneath Nazi occupation. They give them yellow bands indicating whether or not they have or have not had their shot. In India, Prime Minister Narendra Modi launched a global identification health card where you have to carry that thing around. It's not like an ID, but it's like a little pass that says, hey, I'm good. Hey, this is this is I'm all right. We're talking about the social credit score system. We're talking about the Chinese social credit score, 1984, Mark of the Beast, technocracy, scientific dictatorship. It starts with this. It starts with being able to identify the subversives, identify the people that don't go along with the agenda. That's what the whole mask wearing thing is, right? Surveilling people to see who's actually going along with it. This is insane. Let me finish this. Let me finish this article and continue on. It says there is no, quote, alternative to vaccine induced herd immunity in a pandemic, they argued, quote, broad induction of immunity in the population by immunization will be necessary to end this pandemic, end quote. The USA Today article published August 6th is titled, quote, defeat COVID-19 by requiring vaccination for all. It's not un-American. It's patriotic. According to a LifeSite News article, it original subhead reads quote makes vaccines free don't allow religious or personal objections and punish those who won't be vaccinated they are threatening the lives of others it has been i gotta i gotta stop right there because again remember when we covered the protests that were going down in michigan operation uh, uh operation gridlock right where you actually had people going out there saying, hey, this lockdown is hurting the economy. I just want to work. I don't care if I die. I just want my kids to have a, a, a future not offered to them by the government. Remember when we recorded that or reported on that and Hillary Clinton and Joy Behar said, wow, look at these domestic terrorists. <laughs> look at these domestic terrorists completely ignoring Antifa like Jerry Nadler claiming that they're a myth, completely ignoring Antifa but instantly designating people who want to take their own lives into their hands as domestic terrorists. That's what this is leading up to. That we are threatening their lives, that our freedom terrifies them. Quote, or it goes on to say that it has been toned down to read, quote, make vaccines free, don't allow religious or personal objections, and create disincentives for those who refuse vaccines shown to be safe and effective. 
LifeSite reports that the physicians proposed, quote, private businesses could refuse to simply employ or serve unvaccinated individuals. Schools could refuse to allow unimmunized children to attend classes and so forth. This is it. This is what I'm telling you. And we need to begin to create a culture and a society that is based off of human empowerment because it's happening right now. It's happening right now. I want to read you guys real quick, a, uh, or pull up real quick for you, a video uh, of ABC News 10 talking about how states have the authority to fine or jail people who refuse the COVID-19 vaccine. The reason why we have to play a lot of this information, get this over here on record, is to, again, show you the draconian nature of all of this, show you why I'm calling COVID-19 COVID-1984, because we're going past logic, we're going past reason, we're going past critical thinking. And we're jumping straight to the end of the novel. We're going right past it. This is them trying to say that we have the ability to do whatever we want. The very same way that they can in, in, in invoke these edicts. And people have to abide. People don't know their rights. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Let me play this clip and then we'll continue on. As we race to develop a coronavirus vaccine, some major questions are emerging. Good evening, I'm Kimberly Hunt. And I'm Steve Atkinson. A lot of people are wondering if the government could force people to get it, or could people who refuse get banned from stores or lose their jobs? ABC 10 News anchor Derek Stahl spoke with a legal expert to get answers. Imagine a world where you have to get vaccinated and show proof to go shopping, board a plane, or just go to work. Legally, it could happen, says University of San Diego law professor Dove Fox. States can compel vaccinations in more or less intrusive ways. They can limit access to schools or services or jobs if people won't, won't get vaccinated. It could force them to pay a fine or even lock them up in jail. Those measures have been adopted in other countries like France, but not so far in the United States. It all dates back to a Supreme Court case in 1905. The court held that Massachusetts could fine people for not getting vaccinated against smallpox. That case became the basis of vaccine requirements at schools across the country. Courts have found that when medical necessity requires it, the public health outweighs the individual rights and liberties at stake. Just last year, New York City passed an ordinance fining people for not getting a measles vaccination. But there's a big difference between what states have the power to do and what Congress could do. There are these questions, separation of powers, Commerce Clause uh, questions. Professor Fox said the vaccine requirement would probably get shot down by the current Supreme Court based on a 2012 ruling on the Affordable Care Act. That means we could have a patchwork of different vaccination requirements in different states. Professor Fox says states would need to allow exemptions for people with legitimate medical risks like pregnancy but not exemptions for other reasons. Religious exemptions, philosophical ones, have largely been overridden in the name of public health. However, Professor Fox says recent protests over face coverings show there's a big risk of a backlash here. And just because states have the power to require vaccinations doesn't mean it's the best public policy. Derek Stoll, ABC 10 News. And legal experts say that private businesses would have the authority to fire workers who don't want to get vaccinated for personal or religious reasons. Companies would just need to show that there are significant costs at stake for. Yes, there it is. There is the narrative. While it is not required, right? Certain things like you've got to you've, you've got to learn to catch how these people work. And that's what I'm saying. 
Learn your rights. There are other places that won't mandate it, that won't require it, but with the current climate of society, it's going to be very, very hard to navigate that. Uh, while I have you guys' attention, I want to play for you guys another real quick clip of a San Diego City Council member, uh, Jennifer Campbell, talking about arresting people who don't wear masks and aren't social distancing. This is, again, more of that COVID-1984, more of that authoritarianness, more of just this 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 insane power grab uh, by our so-called elected officials. Hello, hello, everybody. I'm Councilmember Jennifer Campbell. I'm a physician, and I've been wanting since day one of this COVID thing for this city and this county to get strong. This is a life-threatening situation. Oh, it would be wonderful if OB could be its old self, get together, see old friends, new friends, and have fun. That's what we want to happen again. But right now, people who come here with no mask, with no distancing, are being irresponsible, and they could get sick, deathly sick, and die. Every day, more and more San Diegans are dying. So we have to get tough. And I'm telling you, if this situation that happened last Wednesday night happens this Wednesday night, there's going to be a lot of clamp down. And so they have got to stop it. They have got to, and they've got to behave in a responsible, adult, mature manner. This is a worldwide emergency. Every single person has to take part in ending it. We have not had the kind of national leadership we need, but we have a nation coming. So hopefully that will change. But in the meantime, in the meantime, it's up to us. The guy has put it on us. All right. So the county has a rule. No more than 10 can get together. Whether it's in your house, whether it's out here in a park, wherever it is. And by God, that is now the law. And therefore, the county sheriff should be arresting people who aren't wearing masks, who aren't distancing, and who are coming together too strong. Believe me, I have, <laughs> I have, I have heard my constituents, and I understand what you're going through. And this is the worst virus in the history of medicine. It's very dangerous. Some of you don't believe it, but it's true. Yes, we we need we need there it is. enforcement. There's inf okay. there it is the enforcement. So I'm telling everybody who loves to congregate here, behave, or you're gonna be in big trouble. Hello, hello everybody. There I'm it was. Member Jennifer Campbell. There it I'm was. A physician. Behave, or you're going to be in big trouble. Behave. This is our, I don't want to sound like a sexist person because that was a lady that we just listened to, but this is our nanny state. This is Big Brother. This is the government thinking that they know what's best for you and that, well, they're, they're going to enforce it. I guess I can't help but think about like taxes and just like everything else that America does where it's, they say it's like the best for you and they're going to back it up with force or, you know, threats. That's, the, that's how you know it's like the best option for you. <laughs> and that's, again, how you know that you still have rights. 
because it's not mandated, it's enforced, but you're still there's that there's that legal wiggle room. You see. Check this out right here. Nashville lawmaker wants to wants people not wearing a mask to be tried for murder or attempted murder. It says a Nashville councilwoman wants anyone who does not wear a mask to be quote tried for murder or attempted murder. What's up with these scare tactics? How are we literally supposed to be coming together like as a nation, but you have the very people that are supposed to be our elected officials threatening us, terrorizing us, mocking us, gaslighting us, putting us up against one another, pitting us against one Like, what is this? This is, this is why this is so dangerous. This is what I mean by the new abnormality. So... I'm not talking about all the Karens out there and the kids that are opening up these snitch hotlines to say, hey, this person isn't wearing a mask. Hey, these people aren't properly social distancing. Hey, you know, my 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 uh, my cabbage has a piece of fur on it or extra hair or something like this. This is where we're at right now. This is what I mean by the new abnormality. Your rights, your freedom, all this stuff has gone right up out the window. Public health, the collectivist mindset, public health vastly outweighs your individual rights. Let me read a little bit of this, and then I'll play another quick clip for you guys. It comes from uh, the Gateway Pundit. They put this up August 10th. It's by Eric A. Blair. It says, quote, my question goes back to legislation. Sharon Hurt, uh, a, at a, a large councilwoman of the National, Nashville Metro Council, said during a meeting last week between public safety, beer, and regulated beverages and health, hospital, and social services committees. Quote, but my concern is, you know, I work for an organization that if they pass a virus... They are, they are, then they are tried for murder or attempted murder if they are not told. And this person who may very well pass this virus that's out in the air because they're not wearing a mask is basically doing the same thing to someone who contracts it and dies from it. Quote, it seems to me that we have been more reactive as opposed to proactive and a little too late, uh, too little, she said. Quote, maybe there needs to be a stronger legislation to say that if you do not wear a mask and you subject exposure of the virus to someone else, then there will be a stronger penalty as it is in other viruses that are exposed. Hurt had to be told by Metro Nashville's Director of Legislative Affairs, Mike Jamison, that the city committees just can't do that. Quote, the council does not have the opportunity on its own to create criminal legislation, he said. Quote, in terms of creating a new code or a class of criminal offenses, that is a creature of state law. Hurt expressed her disappointment. Quote, I was afraid that that was going to be the answer. Quote, I guess that's the whole point of asking for something to be done as early as the council was pushing, Hurt said. It seems it was not taken seriously as it should have been, and thus we are in the situation we are in right now. Yeah, you can't council people can't run around just trying to make up laws because you don't agree with that. We have laws like for a reason. And just because this 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 one incident makes you want to act a certain way, we have checks and balances to make sure the system stays intact, even outside of this little hiccup. It is it, it truly is crazy to see like what's happening with our government, what's happening with our our politicians where the civilians are, and that's how, that's, that's how you know it's a very, very sophisticated, not necessarily hoax, but agenda. They had us call for our own enslavement. As I read to you guys there, uh, what was going on with, 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 with the crisis in Sweden, how we thought there was going to be overwhelmed hospitals, I thought it was going to be happening as well. The information that was coming out, 
uh, the lethality rate, the infection rates, you know, the vector points, how busy society was at the time, I thought things were going to be overwhelmed. But we found out that it wasn't. And so while we were in that state of panic, while we were tricked, we called for locking things down, masks on everything, sanitize, 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 testing, 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 testing. But now as we have kind of moved past that wave, that first wave, and we begin to find some clearing, we're understanding things a lot differently. The only problem is, is we still have those things that we called for, the locking down, the testing, the sanitizing, the hysteria, the delusional thinking. All of this stuff is still here, and it has to be used. It has to be organized. Now, you have New York City State Police using the pandemic to create COVID-19 checkpoints. And we covered this last week, but we have a video for you this week. I want to play this for you, uh, and then we'll play another quick video of police putting a woman in a, in a chokehold for violating the lockdown. This is what I mean by the new abnormality. Checkpoints to ensure workers are allowed to leave their house, choking people out that leave their house, right? Surrounding apartment buildings to make sure people don't leave, arresting people that don't wear masks. This is like this is leading towards HR bill or HR six 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 six, the bill of the beast, contact tracing, where they have the ability to disappear people for fear of public safety. Your individual rights go right out the window because of COVID. Of the coronavirus pandemic and a huge announcement from Mayor Bill de Blasio. Checkpoints are being set up in New York City to trace travelers coming from out of state starting today. There will be both formal and random checks to prevent the spread of COVID-19. The vehicle stops will be held at key entry points such as the George Washington Bridge and the Lincoln Tunnel. That's where Eyewitness News reporter Dave Evans is live with more on this. Dave. David, we really don't think that many people are going to be stopped and pulled over in these checkpoints. But if you have traveled to one of these COVID hotspots, you haven't registered, you haven't quarantined, and you are flirting with a big, big fine. If you're visiting New York or a New Yorker coming home, you'll face the possibility of being stopped at random checkpoints. And if you've been to one of 34 states or Puerto Rico where the pandemic is out of control, you must go into a quarantine for 14 days. We will have checkpoints at key entry points to the city. Travelers coming in from those states will be given information about the quarantine. They will be reminded that it is required, not optional. We already have checkpoints at airports. Now the mayor stepping up enforcement on those traveling by train coming into Penn Station and those driving by car. And yes, the stops will be random. It is so many vehicles, like let's say it's every sixth vehicle or every eighth vehicle. We determine something in the beginning of the day and we stick to that pattern throughout the day. And that is how the checkpoint would be conducted at different locations. The Republican leader in the state Senate said New York City residents would be best served if law enforcement fought violent crimes on city streets instead of fining people for driving in cars. And civil libertarians asked, why doesn't the mayor focus more on delays in testing and trouble in his own health department? The mayor instead is, you know, doubling down on these draconian uh, COVID uh checkpoints where you're just going to see our pandemic turned into a policing issue. This is completely inappropriate. But the mayor points out one out of every five new infections in the city is traced back to out of state. 
He says the rules are the rules, and if you break them, you could face a fine of up to $10,000. But if you don't respect our laws, we will penalize you, because this is about protecting the health and safety of New Yorkers. And surprisingly, most of the New Yorkers we talked with today said they didn't think this new get-tough approach from the mayor was really going to make much of a dent. Make much of a dent, huh? Yeah, because your response to a virus is surveillance, and I don't understand. I don't think anybody understands. We, we, we would hope that our elected officials would try to actually boost up our immune system like they did over there in, uh, in, in, in Sweden. But with our extremely polarized society and our approach towards things, we're, we're not going to do that. We are America's business or America's religion is business and America's business is business. We have all this technology, all this equipment and no one to use it on. Didn't Trump say he was the law and order president? You see how the war is coming to our own doorsteps. Very, very dangerous. But one of the more shocking clips, shocking pieces of footage that debuted this week was of video showing police putting chokehold on women, on women, for violating her lockdown. Now, what I also don't like is how we've normalized just recording altercations like this. Uh, audio listeners, you guys can't see this, but you can go find it on the page. There's a gentleman recording this woman get choked. And I understand, like... Like we're watching the recording of somebody else getting choked, but this dude's like on the ground right there, got his phone up, watching this woman literally just get like choke slam, boom, thrown around like a rag doll. And I, 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 I have a problem with that on top of with law enforcement, peace officers roughing up this woman. Like, come on. Unfortunately, we, there's, there's, there's not audio to it, but I'll try to describe it uh, as it goes along. I'll narrate over it. Quick caption real quick. It says that a video out of Melbourne, Australia, shows a police officer enforcing the city's strict new lockdown law by putting a woman in a chokehold. It says that the state of Victoria's new lockdown rules, which were introduced earlier this month, have produced what appear to be amongst the most draconian examples of police enforcement in the developed world. A new clip shows a woman outside what appears to be a clothing store being put in a chokehold by a male police officer. I'll uh, narrate it from there. He's literally got her by both hands. Yeah, she, she's screaming. He's choking me. Here comes the assisting officer. He's got her up against the wall now. She's just kicked the female officer. He's now grabbed her from the wall, thrown her to the floor, and now being choked on the floor. It's crazy. This truly is crazy. It says, after she kicks out a few times, the male officer then drags her to the ground by her throat and then begins to try to detain her. Last week, we highlighted a similar case where a woman was left with severe bruising after being manhandled by officers for violating the lockdown. Under the new rules, people are expected to adhere to a strict 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. curfew, and police have the power to enter people's homes without a warrant to enforce compliance spot checks. 
As we, as we previously reported, within moments of the new lockdown rules being announced, eyewitnesses said police surrounded residential tower blocks in Melbourne to prevent people from leaving. However, instead of just handing out fines, as would normally be expected, police officers in the region appear to be enforcing the law by physically restraining and arresting people. This is now our world where you have police officers literally putting women in, in chokeholds. Lord knows what the man was saying to her. Did she, did she really deserve this behavior? But see, that's, that's where it's at right now. It's, it's, it's past like elitism. It's past being dehumanized. Like people don't see what this is doing to society. I should have read this beforehand. It's another article out there from Paul Joseph Watson over there and talk about Melbourne. But it says coronavirus checkpoints to ensure workers are allowed to leave their homes. Because as this lockdown was going down, we didn't find an article or post about it. People left Melbourne. They left the state of Victoria in droves. They exited that place so fast because they knew the lockdowns were coming. They knew Australia has a history of being like a, 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 a prison colony, right? They knew. And we're beginning to see that very same narrative pop up back here, unfortunately. We're beginning to see that very same strict draconian lockdown measures being enacted here with COVID checkpoints. That's how it starts. All non-essential workers will have to stay home. And essential workers have to be allowed to leave their house. Let me read a little bit of this and I'll close out this segment for you guys. We put this up August 11th. It comes from Summit.News by Paul Joseph Watson. It says as part of its new lockdown law, Authorities in Melbourne have set up highway checkpoints at which residents have their papers scrutinized to ensure they are allowed to leave their homes. Earlier this month, a, quote, state of disaster was declared in the state of Victoria, imposing an 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. curfew on residents, some of whom who faced instances of police brutality for flouting the rules, including one woman, which we just talked to you, guys, uh, talked to you about, who was put in a chokehold for not wearing a mask outside. The law is also being enforced via a series of checkpoints to determine if people have legitimate reason to be traveling. The tweet that it's accompanied with this post comes from Sydney Watson. She says that my brother sent me this photo yesterday of a checkpoint he had to go through in Melbourne to make sure he had a work permit to leave his house. The police and the army are there. He said he was stressing because his permit had an error on it and he didn't know what the consequences were. She put that up August 11th, 1028 a.m. You imagine having a hiccup there in your uh, in your papers, please, in your travel papers. And now you're being detained. Now you're being thrown into a detainment facility or a quarantine or an isolation facility. We talked about that. They're all over the place. This is kind of crazy. This is, again, that new abnormality, that authoritarianism, that your rights being trampled on. That's the new normal. That's what it is. And that's why this is so dangerous. It's almost terrifying, again, to just see this, this enclosure begin to happen. Just over time, just gradually over time, man. And even when we do try to resist it and bring awareness to it, some people are so, they're not enslaved, but they're scared. And that's how this is all being done. It's all done by fear. They don't want us to stand up. They don't want us to unify. I'll say this, and I'll close out this segment. We had a guest earlier this week. Got her, got her name right here, Kalinda 
underscore massage underscore therapy. And she brought up such a, 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 a phenomenal point saying that we are killing each other for intimacy. That we have a lot of people reaching out to the inner child. And I couldn't help but think about, good Lord, that's exactly where we're at right now. We talk commonly about how COVID-19 is a uh, anti-human, anti-God, pro-Earth agenda. Keep your distance, practice six feet, right? We went over that, my spiritual self. I began to think about the, uh, the etheric field, your aura, how far that emits. Now they don't even want you to go outside. Now they don't want you to shake hands, hug. There are universities saying that kids should possibly have sex with masks on. This is what happens whenever we are saturated by information and we allow for ourselves to be influenced or socially engineered. COVID-19 is a Trojan horse for the new world order. And if you can't see that your rights are being slowly ripped away by now, by this virus, that, the, that putting on the mask isn't going to help you, I'm not sure what to tell you. But I do know what I will tell you. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the new poor, not the nouveau riche. Unfortunately, we didn't take that turn in history. We're not all becoming rich, renaissance-based eccentric people who have all kinds of wealth. No, unfortunately, we're all about to go down a very, very strange and dark path. We're going to be talking about economic and food supply chain disruptions, uh, hiccups in the global economy the global depression, and all of this other strange stuff. Again, I find it strange that we are here, but these are the days, this is the signs of the time, and we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about this and more on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, please don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break, and when we're back, we'll get into this and more. This is Freedom Faction over here on Factions of Freedom, and we'll be right back right after this. Loved, guised by time. 
we see it? The place we've been trying to get back to. Safe at last. We've found our way home. Yeah, we're back. We are back. Yeah, there weren't any hiccups this time. You know, as you can tell, things are running as smoothly as they can here, running as smooth as the sands of New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, we are back. Third segment, talking essentially about the, again, the socioeconomic reformation, the Great Reset, uh, the financial collapse. All of the strange things that have been happening in the peripheral of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, that people really aren't aware of. And so I'd like to start this segment off by saying, get storable goods. You've heard me pitch it here on the show. I'm pitching it again. You heard the promo in between the break. Get storable goods. Uh, You know what? I think a better thing for me to do is pull up the post that I wrote out for you guys earlier this week. After seeing a string of articles, I felt compelled to get this post up for you guys simply because it's the truth. It's not a sales pitch. It's just 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 me being honest. Uh, I said secondary lockdowns are coming to America. With food banks quickly running out of reserves and upwards of 11 million evictions over the next four months, as well as all, all working age adults in America not having a job, you need to be prepared for whatever is on the other side. Between COVID-19 and increasing civil unrest, it is imperative that you focus on your family's food security. Millions of American homes have been without food throughout this entire pandemic, and they have been reliant upon these food banks and other charitable organizations 
for their livelihood. If you're listening to this and you can get yourself storable goods, you need to get storable food and get prepared now. My Patriot Supply is a leading industry expert who has withstood the lockdowns of COVID-19. We've talked about that. They were able to open up two new facilities during this time frame. I wouldn't bring these people before you if they were not competent. With water filtration units, air purification systems, and storable goods with a shelf life of up to 25 years, this organization is designed to help you. Don't rely on food banks or hope that the stores keep certain items on the shelf. Take your security into your own hands. I'll, I'll say this, and then I'll get into the topics. I went on further that this isn't even a sales pitch so much as it is opposed to remind you guys to think of this. I know it seems opportunistic, and it is, but this is me throwing my cards on the table, letting you know where my head is at. I'd rather eat my insurance policies instead of waiting for handouts, you get me? If the dollar is being purposely devalued, food processing plants are being shut down, roaming mobs of unemployed, agitated, and delusional people are on the loose, all I'm saying is you need to take your security in your own hands. The system depends upon your reliance. That's my pitch. That's my plug. That's me saying that we have two years worth of storable goods here. Thank the Lord. I can only, I can only imagine what's coming down the barrel and I don't want to think about it. I'm sure I'll have to talk about it if we're here. I'm sure we'll figure out a way to explain it, but get prepared. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about economic and food supply chain disruptions endangering the global food security. We've talked about uh, mosquitoes and pestilence working their way through South America or South Africa and now over there in, in Asia. Um, earlier today, there was an article by the folks over there at The Most Important News by Michael Snyder talking about how there are millions of acres of crops in the central United States that have been destroyed by a series of historic natural disasters. You don't really hear mainstream media talking about that uh, at all, <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, and there was another article headline that, that, I'm, that I'm spacing on, but it talks about how uh, China's crops are also being devastated uh, by unnatural and abnormal weather events. So let me read a little bit of this, and then I'll pull up another article. Uh, this is from um, Natural Blaze. They put this up July 30th. It says, COVID-19 has led to a global economic slowdown that is affecting all four pillars of food security, availability, access, utilization, and stability. According to a new article, from the researchers at the International Food Policy Research Institute, published in the Journal of Science. Agricultural and food markets are facing continuous disruptions due to labor shortages caused by lockdowns, as well as a large shift in food demand arising from in income losses and the closures of schools and restaurants. The key findings highlight the impact of COVID-19 on food systems, the global economy, poverty, health, and trade. Quote, the most important impact of the pandemic on food security is through income declines that put food access at risk, said article co-author and IFPRI Director General Johan Swinnen. Quote, this is especially a concern for the extreme poor who spend an average about 80% or 70% of their total income on food. So that was two weeks ago, right? 
two weeks ago, we're trying to raise the alarm that, hey, something's going on. I don't, even, I don't even want to say two weeks ago because we've been raising the alarm on all of this for quite some time uh, on all this stuff that's going on. But that was two weeks ago uh, that we were talking about that. That same time frame, we also heard that, what? Nearly 50% of all the jobs lost during the COVID-19 pandemic may be gone permanently. They're not coming back. Uh, nearly 30 million in the USA didn't have enough to eat last week. This was three weeks ago or, or, or two weeks ago. This is just mind-blowing. 11 million evictions coming over the next four months, right? Am I beginning to explain things in the desperate situation that we are beginning to find ourselves in? For you guys. Three weeks ago, there was an article that came out by Mint Press News where they talked about the tech elite. We covered it here. Techno serfdom. The tech elite eyeing the lucrative rent market as people began to get kicked out on the streets. That's the easy thing to say. You got tech giants, people like Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, all people eyeing the 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 eyeing real estate. That's the easiest thing to say. Like even, even before coming on to the air with you guys, there was an article over there at Drudge Report feed that said uh, millions of Brooklyn apartments are just sitting empty. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is so crazy. Because it's only going to be a matter, it's only going to be a matter of time until they get into real estate. Bill Gates already has land out there in Arizona where he is developing a small city. They're, they have they have a perfect playground to mess with. The same thing I've been telling you guys throughout the entirety of this whole pandemic. Who stands to benefit? The telecom and the telehealth industries. And again, now that you've got 11 million evictions happening over the next four months, we already talked about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey teaming up with Pittsburgh to have guaranteed income. Do you see how this works? The government depends upon our reliance the same way the technocrats depend upon us being on their systems in order to do stuff. The reason they want to give us money incentivizes us to be a part of their program is so that their program can exist and they can take stuff from us. Like, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Getting ahead of myself. Let me, let me go ahead and just get into the most recent news to explain my point of views and why. <laughs> why I find this much more important than worrying about uh, this mysterious disease that is so elusive that we have to be trapped inside of our houses uh, for them to find it. Global lockdown set to plunge 100 million into extreme poverty. This is written by Paul Joseph Watson over there at Summit.News. They put this up August 10th. It says the impact of the, of the global coronavirus lockdown is set to plunge 100 million people into extreme poverty warns a new report by the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting. The report appears to pin the blame on COVID-19 itself for the economic impact, yet the actual culprit is discovered to be the restrictions put in place by governments in response to the pandemic. From the report, quote, with the virus and its restrictions, up to 100 million people, more people globally could fall into the bitter existence of living on just a dollar and 90 cents a day, according to the World Bank. 
that's, quote, well below any reasonable conception of life with dignity. The United Nations Special Reporter on Extreme Poverty wrote this year, and it comes on top of the 736 million people already there, half of them in just five countries, Ethiopia, India, Nigeria, Congo, and Bangladesh. The report notes that the impact of the lockdown on the poor countries like India was, quote, so abrupt and punishing that their prime minister, Narendra Modi, begged for forgiveness. The report will stir up further debate as, we, as, whether to lock the, as, whether, as to whether the global lockdown will prove more deadly than COVID-19 itself, with extreme poverty being directly linked to death and shortened lifespans, according to the research published by the Imperial College London and the Johns Hopkins University. Around 1.4 million people are expected to to die from untreated tuberculosis infections due to the coronavirus lockdown. Experts have also warned that hundreds of thousands of or even millions of people could die in long term as a result of of the lockdown preventing them from receiving treatment for cancer and other serious illnesses. Given that many of those sunk into extreme poverty as a result of the lockdown live in sub-Saharan Africa, this could also exacerbate mass immigration from that region into Europe. Quote, it's a timely reminder that the main cause of the lockdowns favored by liberal policymakers across the world will not be people in the West, but those hovering just above the poverty line in the developing world, writes Toby Young. You get the picture? This is what Trump meant by, I don't want the cure to be worse than the disease. I don't want the cure being worse than the disease, and that's exactly where we're at right now. Million, 1.4 million people expected to die from untreated tuberculosis infections, and possibly more because they're unable to get care. That's what I mean by the depopulation, dehumanization campaign, and that's what COVID-19 represents. But let's talk still a little bit more about this new poor. This is something that really, I don't know why, but it's not that I don't know why. This affects everybody. Everybody's, everybody's getting hit with this. This isn't just America. Everywhere is being devastated right now. The economy is being destroyed. That's why they're saying it's going to take at least 10 years to get us to where we were at the start of the year. That's why I told you last week, and I parroted it again this week, that the economy we have right now is not going to be the economy we have next year. From economic disruptions to food supply chain disruptions to people not wanting to work, people trying to get handouts from the government, right? Trump's talking about a whole nother round of uh, Trump bucks of stimulus checks. Like I said before, you got Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey talking about guaranteed income. They're incentivizing people not to work because, well, there's no job to go back to. This is crazy. This is not only a, 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 a massive flop in the response of a crisis like this, but the sophisticated organization of this is also terrifying to see. Right here, 41% of Americans have adopted a minimalistic lifestyle. This is put up by the Drudge Report feed. They put this up August 10th. We read this earlier this week on the podcast, or I mean on the Instagram live. It basically talks about different things that people are doing to cut back on expenses, to really, really adjust their finances, to think about where their money's going. Because again, you can't... With the evictions, right? The 11 million, ev- the 11 million evictions over the next four months, right? 
That's happening because of the because of the moratorium that they had. They said, hey, look, you can't kick people out of their jobs and then expect them to pay these bills with money they don't have from the job that they're not attending. So they had this moratorium. Well, that moratorium ended up or ended uh, a couple weeks ago. And so now for the rest of the year, we're going to see a whole new wave of people just like yourself, just like you listening right now. Who had, who had the Netflix, who had the Grubhub, right? Who had the cars, who had the house, who had, who had these things. But now they're out there on the street. Now they're out there on the street praying to God that they can find food. Praying to God that they can find some place that, 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 that has something for them. Shelter, water, a place for their kids, food. When I'm telling you that the economy we have right now is not going to be the economy we have next year, we have got to start thinking about this. I'm not, I'm not starting segments off with the My Patriot Supply because I want to seem cool and organized. I'm doing that out of desperation saying, please let me be able to help somebody. Let my words reach someone. Let me read this article. 41% of Americans adopting a minimalistic lifestyle. From our social lives to professional careers, life as we know it has shifted since the beginning of 2020. Well, almost everything. Millions may have lost their jobs due to COVID-19, but that doesn't mean the bills have stopped coming. Instead, or indeed, paying off bills are an unavoidable part of life, even during a pandemic. Unfortunately, a new survey of 2,000 Americans find that one in four have already missed at least one payment since the, pa- since the pandemic began. Among that group, 26 say, 26% say they haven't paid their cell phone or cable bills. Another 25% failed to pay for streaming services and perhaps more worryingly, some of their electricity and utility bills. On average, Americans who admit to skipping a bill payment have missed five bills altogether. Commissioned by EnergyBot, these surveys set out to gauge just how much COVID-19 has dealt a blow to Americans financially. Predictably, money is a big concern these days. In fact, 63% say they're, quote, always worried about paying their bills right now. Similarly, 58% are battling extra stress over their bills since the pandemic started. Ways they're cutting back. With those last stats in mind, it makes sense that 65% of respondents admit that they make some sacrifices to make ends meet. And what type of sacrifices are we talking about? Many have canceled subscription services and gym memberships. I did. Others are cutting costs by no longer ordering takeout. All in all, 52% say that they are only buying the, quote, essentials these days. Another 43% are no longer buying premium quality goods in an effort to save some cash. Some are adopting new lifestyles. 41% say that, uh, here's the article headline, 41% say they are following minimalistic approach to life. Moreover, about two in five people say two of five people never use their credit card anymore because it encourages them to spend more. A third of Americans have also been forced to dip into their savings accounts because of COVID-19. On that note, 55% of respondents often feel overwhelmed by just how much coronavirus has changed their financial footing. Even small expenses like repairing a broken home appliance just aren't possible right now. A significant portion of respondents, 35%, have learned to live without have learned to live without a broken appliance because they just couldn't afford to fix it. Meanwhile, 68% have tried to fix their appliance themselves or asked a spouse to fix it. 
Others, 33%, have used some of their their savings to solve such issues when they are unable to fix them themselves. Another 37% say, however, that they wouldn't even have enough savings to fix appliances if they were to break. Wow. A few other common ways Americans are saving their money through this pandemic are turning off the lights when they're not needed, 62%, turning off appliances when they're not being used, 46%, closing windows and doors when the heat is on, 42%, opening up the windows instead of using the AC, 36%, and using blinds to adjust the room temperature, 33%. Now, this isn't clearly, clearly that's not like advice on what to invest in, how to save different things you can do to modify your behaviors, checking your triggers, turning off the news and stuff like that. But it still remains the same. People are beginning to feel that hurt in their wallet. And so it's only going to be a matter of time (laughs) until people are tired of playing honky tonk with this disease. Like they'll, they'll, they'll do it because it's cute. They'll do it because they want to get through it. They'll do it because they want to, They want to help people, right? But what they won't do is they won't lose to help somebody else succeed. And that's where we're at right now. They're they're forcing us into poverty. They're mandating our poverty. This is so crazy. Everything you're seeing is so crazy. So when I tell you that you're going to see new poor, the nouveau poor out there, don't hate on them because that's you. In Lakesh, I am another you. When I'm, when I'm ranting about the benefits of, of, of capitalism and how it produces so much wealth and so much grandiose and largesse, that we have food banks, that we have charitable organizations, that we work with donations. <laughs> so it's something I'm doing here locally. That that's what it's about where you want to be such a productive member of society that you do look to help other people, that you try to empower them, that you try to lift them up. But that's not how we're thinking. And because we're not thinking like that, we're depleting ourselves. We're ripping into our reserves. Having the carpet ripped out from up underneath ourselves with nowhere to go. And this is why you guys see me gradually beginning to change how I communicate what's happening to us and also talk about the solutions that are that are at our disposal that don't get discussed you see so i know it it's it, it just becomes very difficult for me to try to look talk to you about the problem and the solution sometimes in the same breath so i have to address the problem so that we can begin to have that discussion on uh, what the solution looks like uh, but continuing on with problems let me bring up this article right here to explain things a little bit better It says this global depression will be brutal. Tens of millions of Americans can't pay their bills and are in danger of eviction. This is written by Michael Snyder over there at the Economic Collapse blog. They put this up August 12th over there at SHTF Plan. And why this is so important is it literally came, this article popped up like a day after our Instagram. So after we took the time to try to cultivate information and explain what was happening to the country, in our own wacky way. This article came out explaining it to a T. So I want to read this and then again, go back through some of the factoids that I was just reading to you guys, painting this picture of, 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 of the world right now. That's why I'm saying the new poor, 
the socioeconomic reformation, the Great Reset, all of these things, this is our future. It says most of us have never experienced anything like this in our entire lifetimes. Fear of COVID-19, endless civil unrest in major U.S. cities, and a whole host of other factors have combined to plunge us into an economic downturn since the Great Depression of the 1930s. On Friday, the Labor Department announced that the unemployment rate in the U.S. fell to just 10.2% last month. And if that number wasn't, was actually accurate, that would be pretty good news. Unfortunately, it simply does not square with all the other numbers that we have been seeing. According to John Williams of ShadowStats.com, if honest numbers were being used, by the, used, the unemployment rate would actually be 30% right now. And I believe that figure to be much closer to the reality that we're facing. In February, 152 million Americans were working. And since that time, more than 5 or 55 million have filed new claims for unemployment benefits. Unless tens of millions of those people have been filing fraudulent claims, there is no way in the world that the unemployment rate should be about 10% right now. Other numbers tell a, a similar story. According to one recent study, 24% of all Americans have missed at least one bill payment since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Indeed. And then it goes on to talk about... <laughs> Ironically enough, some of the same sacks that we just went over. It says, indeed, paying off bills are an avoidable part of life, even during a pandemic. Unfortunately, a new survey of 2,000 Americans finds that one in four, 24%, have already missed at least one payment since the pandemic began. Among that group, 26% say they haven't paid their cell phone or cable bills. Another 25% failed to pay for streaming services and perhaps more worryingly, some of their electricity and utility bills. That doesn't sound like an, a recovery. What this sounds like is economic depressions. Americans are also missing their rent and mortgage payments at a staggering rate as well. In fact, more than one-fourth of the entire country did not pay their rent or mortgage payment during the month of July. An estimated 27% of adults in the U.S. missed their rent or mortgage payments for July, according to a nationwide study survey conducted by the U.S. Census Bureau weekly over the last three months. Among renters alone, just one-third, 34%, said during the waning days of July that they had little to no confidence that they could make their August rent payment, a stark measure of the ongoing economic devastation for households stretched to the brink by coronavirus pandemic. But we are supposed to believe that the unemployment rate is only at 10% right now. Right. Right. In some states, the looming eviction crisis threatens to be absolutely catastrophic. For example, we are being told that in South Carolina, a whopping 52% of all renters, quote, are at risk of eviction. In South Carolina alone, 52% of renter households can't pay their rent and are at risk of eviction. According to an analysis of census data by the consulting firm Stout, Rhesus, and Ross, 185,000 evictions could be filed next in, in in that state alone over the next four months and that doesn't sound like a recovery that sounds like a depression it sounds like a depression the sad part about that though about much about much of that is i'm from south carolina i've got family out there I unfortunately was unable to go out there uh, back in April whenever my grandfather passed away. 
I've got family out there. I got a niece out, the new one. And uh, it's just, it is just a, a, a little distressing and disheartening to see us like this. It truly is. This is what I mean by the new poor. They have mandated poverty. They have effectively made us all. They leveled the playing field. They made us all poor. They made us all weak. And their ultimate goal is to make us even more so dependent upon the system. Remember, just last week I talked about how the National Guard is going to be deployed to help uh, (laughs) build the economy back up facilitate economic recovery, right? And the help with COVID-19. Sure. Sure. Whatever, uh, whatever helps you guys sleep at night. So nearly 50% of all the jobs lost during COVID-19 may be gone permanently. 11 million evictions over the next four months. Good, good, good Lord. Close to half of all working age adults in the U.S. not having a job right now. Economic and food supply chain disruptions. This is a, it's not even a time bomb. What we're witnessing right now is the explosion, is the detonation. It's like our country was, it's it's like we were flying down the freeway, man, jamming music, uh, you know, not caring about anything, and the engine exploded. And that's where we're at right now. America's engine is exploding. We were revving. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Coronavirus came and it broke America. So that's why I say we, we new, new abnormalcy. We've got to start over. We've been imploded. Something's going on here. This ain't normal. None of this is. So I wish I could end this episode talking to you guys about something optimistic, bringing forth a little courage. But this is one of the episodes where we have to look at the stark, cold, hard reality of where we're at. On on our elected officials, that's for sure. But at this point, We've got to start looking at what we, what we can do for ourselves, how we get ourselves out of this. The good thing is, as I said before, with all this, this, this civil insurrection and civil unrest, the good thing is a lot of this stuff is being brought to the surface so people can't hide. I'll say this and I'll start closing stuff out. You know, I was watching Mel Gibson's The Patriot the other day and there was an there was an arc like there, there there were so many symbolic scenes that it really still sat with me you know there was a scene where mel gibson traveled to charlestown speaking of south carolina 1776 this is before it became charleston he was he he, he had to travel to charlestown um because they were having a discussion about the war uh, that was coming and mel gibson didn't want to fight the war he wanted to stay on the countryside, raise his kids, and be left alone. But they had requested him. They had summoned him. And so he went to Charlestown. He brought his kids because they were all excited. Letter came in the mail. Oh, there's talk of war. You know, we, we, we request your presence. And so they got all excited. Gets the kids. 
They go to Charlestown. Uh, he brings his eldest son, Gabriel, with him to Charlestown. Uh, brings him into the actual discussion meeting where they're talking about the war and what to do. He doesn't want to fight the war, and so he leaves. After he has his like moment with the people there, he leaves. Talking about being a man of principle, that's what one of the persons says there. He says, oh, uh, so-and-so, I thought you were a man of principle. And he says, well, when you're a father, you don't get to have the luxury of principles. So he leaves the meeting. And then when he leaves the meeting, his first son, Gabriel, comes up to him, played by Heath Ledger, now dead. He says, father, father, you know, what, what are you doing? He says, I'm not going to go fight that war. My duty is to my family. Let's get out of here. Heath Ledger, Gabriel, the son, says that um, the, the, the exchange they have is so brilliant. He says, my duty is to my family. We need to leave. And he says, the son, that when I have a family, I won't hide behind them. I won't hide behind my family. The son doesn't understand that you're not supposed to be playing toy soldier. Your duty is to your family. And so you begin to see that whole narrative take place where the father discovers the son and the son respects the father during the fight, during the hardships, during the times that they're in. And then there's a scene in the movie, spoilers, later on, where Gabriel learns that he is about to become a father. And he shares those same words where they have this discussion, this recognition of you understand it now. You understand that you're not fighting for this for this war of independence. You're not fighting against the king. You're fighting for your family. You're fighting for your family. And so I want to leave you guys with that. The days that we're entering into, they're not going to be easy, my friends. But I'll tell you what, I'll be there with you as long as I can to try to help you work through this. The days won't be easy, but that's why they say hard times create strong men. And these times are about to be extremely hard. And if we don't try to wrap our minds around what is required of us so that we can have these amenities and these freedoms that we so lovingly cherish, if we don't think about this in a deeper capacity, this is some conspiracy. <laughs> This isn't the Illuminati. This is real life. If we don't think about this, well, I guess our next options are to get our COVID-19 vaccine shot, wait for them to call us, return to our FEMA camp dom domicile, wherever they decide to house us and shelter us, and hope to God that they don't terminate us or sterilize us. Do you see why? That's what freedom is. That's what liberty is. It's responsibility. It's accountability, self-ownership, and doing the work. But in a society like today where they have disenfranchised us and taken our power and made us dependent upon the system, it's not there. And so I say this to you, ladies and gentlemen. What do you believe in? What will you fight for? And where will we be in these coming years? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Polarization Days. Pushing, or uh, Polarization Days new abnormality, and the new poor.
Whoa. Yeah, it's crazy because we're, we're doing this together. Like we're talking about this stuff. We're breaking it down. We're looking for answers. We're doing it together. We're doing it together. I just got done doing like a, uh, a phone interview while we were doing the episode production. So it's just crazy where we are these days, but that's all everybody have for you guys and gals. I know we went all over the place, but it's again to give you that deep introspective look as to what's going on. Uh, the web app that we will have debuted and launched for you guys will be available. Like I said, if not next week, the week after next, you can find all of the uh, videos that we used in this episode in the description bar below. Like I said, with the uh, My Patriot Supply Storable Goods, get you some. Get yourself prepared. The stuff that we're talking about, this just isn't fluff. The links for that are in the description bar below. I'm doing this work because I feel compelled to, and I don't feel like everybody else is understanding what's going on. Uh, but like I said, ladies and gentlemen, that's all I really have for you guys and gals. If you have any questions, feel free to email me. I'll have it in the description bar below. And as always, guys and gals, stay vigilant, expose lies, and share truth. This is Noise Era, Freedom Faction, out. Thank you.